Well, welcome to uh, week number one, uh, as it was mentioned on the video of a brand spanking new sermon series uh, called Prayer. And we're going to talk about prayer and what Jesus mentions about prayer. Such an important key in our life. I know this is a Bible church. Our church is called Living Waters in Seguin, Texas, and we're a Bible-centered, Christ-centered church as well. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and prayer and Bible go together. It's like two wings on the airplane. You'll get some trajectory uh, in your life, a balance of Bible and prayer. Jesus says, as it relates to the category of prayer, my house shall be called a house of what? Of prayer. I don't know, Pastor Ben, if you guys have IHOPs around here. Do y'all have some? We do in South Central Texas. And if you go to IHOP, International House of Pancakes, what are they known for? Y'all help me out a little bit. For pan- do they have OJ? Do they have good coffee? Do they have, of course, they have good bacon, they have good eggs, all those essentials, but they are known for what? Especially the smiley face. Liam loves the smiley face, the chocolate pancakes, and he draws with whipped cream a smiley face pancake when we go to uh, IHOP. House of prayer, house of pancakes. Of course, if you go to the, I'm from New Orleans, just outside of New Orleans, the house of blues, what are you going to get when you go to the House of Blues, you're gonna get some good blues music. What are you gonna get when you go to the House of Diamonds? A happy wife. <laughs> so anyhow, your marriage will be awesome if you get her a diamond. I know Brooke will love that if I get her a diamond. But what is it known for? It's known for, for what? For, for diamonds. And Jesus, notice, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Is there in the house of God Bible? Absolutely. Is there praise? Is there Is there praises? Is there worship? Is there ministry programs, kids and youth ministry and men's ministry and senior citizen ministry? All all of that is essential. But Jesus says, let's focus in. Let's, Let's dial into what my house is supposed to all be about. And that is, my house shall be called a house of prayer. So simply for the next three weeks, uh, we are going to be discovering the power of the Lord's prayer in the couple of weeks to come. We're going to be discovering what prayer is. But today, come on, say today with me. Today, we're going to discover what prayer is not. And so let's just pray because we're going to talk about prayer. So let's just pray. God help. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen to that. All right, so I had you turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to focus in, hone in on four verses. But let me give you a little background and read a couple of verses beyond that. Matthew chapter six, verse one through two, Jesus says this, be careful not to practice, not, to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward or their reward in full. Let's tag verse five. These are the four verses we'll focus on here today. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, probably scribes and Pharisees is what Jesus is describing here. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Verse six says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into the room close the door. One translation says, shut that door, shut, shut the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret 
will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Notice, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Can I hear a good amen for the reading of God's word together today? And so this is what we're going to talk about. And Jesus says in these verses, in fact, verse 16, it says, when you fast. This threefold cord is not easily broken. When you pray, when you give, when you fast. And that should be the aim of all of us as Christians, isn't that right? As followers of, of Jesus. In fact, that's the question on the table here this morning is, is this, simply, is fasting, is giving, is praying a regular rhythm in your Christian life? Again, notice Jesus didn't say if, he says when you. When you give, when you fast, when you pray. And what I love about Jesus when it comes to prayer is that he tells us what not to do. I mean, you can do something and then not do it in the right heart or with the right motivation or the right spirit. Our aim should be to please the Lord, to win his smile, a prayer life that pleases God. I simply call it God-pleasing prayer. Now, how many remember uh, in your life that time where you had some, maybe you earned some uh, trophies or uh, ribbons for some particular event or something you participated in, uh, or you got some kind of achievement or a letter jacket for maybe athletics you achieved earlier in your life. How many have done that before? You remember some of those times, even in your child life or coming up through school, or how many have not had the courage uh, to maybe put away some of those things? I remember getting rid of some of those things and them kind of hanging around in my attic or my garage for some time. I remember having a, a green and yellow my senior year in high school at Grace King the Grace King Fighting Irish from Metri, Louisiana, and I was a part of several sports while I played there. And I remember getting my, my not letter jacket, but leather letter jacket and just holding on to that for so many years. And of course, wearing that around the campus, I thought I was pretty big stuff. It got all the ladies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And so throngs of ladies came by. And if you believe that, then you believe that. And so anyhow, and so I would wear this thing all over the place. I remember getting a, a presidential fitness, presidential fitness, physical fitness award and a letter from President Ronald Reagan from his desk. And I was just convinced for many years it actually was his signature, but that was all fake news. And so anyhow, it wasn't from him, but that was kind of a big deal when I was a kid or coming through junior high and high school. But then you move around the country a little bit, and you begin to start moving into some different directions, and then you begin to start noticing that some of those things that were earlier achievements or rewards or things that you earned over the years are just not as important as they once were. I got a pat on the back when I, from my parents or my friends when I earned some of those things, but now you get to a stage in your life where it's just not as significant as it once was. In fact, I remember very vividly, it wasn't too many days re removed from uh, graduating high school, and I walked onto the University of New Orleans campus. I became a student there, and the very first day, uh, I didn't care. I had no shame in the game. I was going to wear that Grace King 
high school letter jacket onto the University of New Orleans campus on my first day. It was about 103 degrees. Y'all know how it is in New Orleans. And so it's humid. I'm sweating. I have this heavy letter, leather jacket on, and I, I just walked through and just began to start going through the courtyard and going to some of my first classes there on day one. And how many know I got some awkward, I mean, it was awkward. I mean, it was weird looks. Like, who is this guy? What is this man that thinks he's a man? And he's going around with this high school. This is a, doesn't he know this is a whole nother level? This is a university now. This is a whole nother level of education. You can't just be sporting this leather jacket as if you think that that is cool. You get some weird looks with all of that. Because why? It was, it was cool just days before, but now it's not all that significant. In fact, that was the last day that I, I quickly got rid of that leather jacket. I, I actually didn't even want to remember that leather jacket anymore after that day. It's pretty awesome when it's 17 years old and you're wearing a leather jacket and you're a senior in high school. But if you're still wearing the leather jacket and you're 47 years old, it's not as awesome. It's super weird. Then there's that odd guy that sometimes you may know about. I remember getting invited over to a guy's house one time and years and years ago, and he was. He was super, like, just he was Cousin Eddie. He was a weird dude. And come on over. I want to show you all of the achievements and the things that I'm like, this is going to be a blast. Okay, so I'm coming over. And so I go over into his, he opens up the door. I'd never been to his house before. And as I walk into the entryway, right there, I mean, front and center was the trophy glass case with like a spotlight with lights coming down on top of it. And he's just going through this whole thing of, see how I'm using my hands right here, Pastor Ben? I'm just knocking out the worship leaders and stuff. So anyhow, I remember um, him telling us, about, it's just amazing how I got this spelling bee. This was in second grade, this, this certificate right here. Here's my T-ball trophy when I was seven years old. Look at it with all of its glory. And we're like, this is the most awkward thing. This is a weird man. In fact, we, we stepped a little further and there was, I guess we triggered a music sensor and as he's talking to us about his Pioneer Boys Woodsman badge from like when he was nine years old, all of a sudden we went like a little bit, a couple of steps, and there's, we are the champions, my friend, triggers, and there's a disco ball and light shining down on these little achievements, and he starts doing like this jig. He starts boogieing, not in Jesus' name. It was weird. It, it was not Jesus' name at all. And so you come to a place where it's just, he was all into it still, grown man. But those kind of things in, in life, they become insignificant over time. It don't mean as much as it was when we were earlier on in life. And I just wonder that in, as it relates to what Jesus tells us in our spiritual lives, that I wonder in our spiritual lives, do we kind of live like that from time to time? Spiritual achievement wards to show people. Is righteousness a good thing? Absolutely. But can it be a bad thing? Yeah, when it's shown before men. Is prayer a good thing? Absolutely, Jesus says. Is giving a, a good thing? Is fasting a good thing? Is that pleasing to the Lord? Unless it's done to impress people, done in front of, of men. 
you know how it is in modern day world. It's not you because y'all are spiritual and things like that. And so, but how we can tote around from time to time, you know, of these people, they, they buy their 11 pound Bible from Sam's. They never read it. It's collecting dust on the coffee table, but they just want to put it out there in the middle and invite people, come on over into the entryway. Why don't you just take a glance at the Bible that I never read, but they'll never admit that they never read it, but there it is in all of its glory. Or sometimes we can speak in King James Version language. We never do that ever in real life when you're ordering lime pie from or lemon cake from the restaurant. But when we're around certain people, if we want to impress them with our spiritual religious jargon, we can kick into hallelujah, glory to God. Like, you aren't just talking like that four seconds ago, but now all of a sudden, now you're saying all of these spiritual terms. We can do things when we're talking to people as it relates to even in modern day or normal day life. Hey, I'm praying for you, but normally we don't, or sometimes seemingly we don't pray for them. We just throw that out there or we put prayer emoji hands on social media. And we just throw things out there and say certain things or live our lives to showcase and impress people. And this is what Jesus is addressing for people to see. And nothing wrong with doing some of the things that we mentioned, but there's a way to do it, a right way to do it from the right spirit. In fact, we don't want to even go around in our life to hear other people say, oh, what a great prayer warrior Paul Mason is, or what a, what a generous man, look how sacrificial he, he is, or look how righteous of a man of God uh, he is. We, we don't live for to impress people. We wanna aim at pleasing the Lord. In fact, when Jesus says this, he strikes at the very heart of it. He says about these people who are doing it the wrong way. He says they're doing all of these things to be seen by men. To be seen by men is actually an interesting phrase. It carries the idea of an actor or a theater or someone who takes center stage. They make it all about themselves and not about the Lord. They want the spotlight on themselves. Jesus says to that kind of life, showcasing that kind of life in front of others to impress others instead of to do it for the glory of God, living for the pat on the back, for the spiritual achievements that we have earned over the course of our lives so other people would know how spiritual we are. Jesus says, beware, and, and be aware of that kind of, of heart. All of us here, you wouldn't be here today if all of us wanted to not live in, a, in such a way that would be in front of people. We all wanna have a heart that lives for that which matters, that pleases the Lord and not people. And so let me here today, just break this down and just kind of giving you three handles to hold on to as it relates to a prayer life that pleases the Lord. Some take home principles that wins God's smile. Number one, God pleasing prayer, you find this in verse five, God pleasing prayer has the right motivation. God pleasing prayer always has the right motivation. How many know it's not just doing the right thing? Sometimes we can do the right thing and it's from a wrong motive. It's from the wrong heart or the wrong spirit. I want to suggest today just doing something or doing the what and not examining the why. How many know God sees all the way down to the why in our life, the real motivation behind why we do what we do? And he says there's a pleasing way to do it and there's another way to do it 
that don't be like them who are doing it that way. We do it as a delight unto the Lord and not a duty. In fact, the apostle Paul would say it this way in Corinthians. He would say, when you give, don't do it out of necessity. Don't do it out of obligation for God loves what? A, a cheerful so give, but it's how you give what you give with the right spirit that God honors and rewards that. In fact, Jesus says, you know how they do it. These scribes, these hypocrites, these pagans, these Pharisees, they love to go praying, standing in the synagogue and going onto a street corner. And why are they doing that? They're doing that to be seen by Men, how many of the Bible says this? Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the what? He looks on the heart. He sees all the way down to our motivation. And the why behind why we do what he asks us to do in a way that's pleasing to him, it's not for, the why is not for the public eye. In fact, there were those who were these pagans, what they would actually do is they knew in that culture when the trumpets would blast. They knew when prayer time was for gathering and all the people would gather and begin to start going towards not just the street corners, but they would gather and rush towards the temple at the countdown of the trumpets being blasted. And these Pharisees would actually, they had not an Apple watch, they had some kind of sundial or whatever. They knew exactly the T minus, oh, T minus one more minute. And I know when that trumpet's going to blast. And so at the right time, they would position or locate themselves in the right spot at the temple, at the synagogue, or on the street corner. And when everybody, all the multitudes were gathering to go pray, they would put themselves right in the spot where they would say, now's the time is to flash the plastic. Now's the time to cha-ching a little. Did y'all see how I just gave in the in the bucket when everybody was right there or at that moment when the trumpets and they knew when the trumpets would blast at that moment they would fall on their knees and begin to start giving these long-winded yelling out these prayers before God as to be seen by men they would start praying loudly in that moment why because that's the point that's the place where everybody was looking I want everybody to see how sacrificial I am, how giving, how generous I am, how I can pray in a loud way. What were they doing? They were blowing their own trumpet. They were tooting their own horn that day. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't pray in that, in that way for a PR stunt or, or to kind of get yourself out there. That's not the kind of way that you're supposed to carry out a rightly motivated prayer that pleases the Lord. It's kind of like that, that preacher who was asked to pray before the service, and when he walked up, he got behind the pulpit, and, and then he just began to just bow his head. He wasn't saying anything that anybody could hear, and just in his own humble way, he just began to start, start even under his breath, just praying. And there was an ornery kind of older lady way back in the back in the cascade section, and she yelled out in kind of the middle of his, because he's about 15 seconds in and there's nothing that's got any kind of volume to it. And she yells out, she goes, hey, we can't hear you. We can't hear you pray. And then he was quirk. He, was, he just kind of had a really good quick comeback. He said, because I wasn't praying for you. It wasn't about you. When I came up here and I was asked to do something, I was, I was praying to God. Not about 
you hearing me. It's about God hearing me. Can I hear a good amen to that? That's what Jesus is striking at here. Here's the true test of, of praying. Here it is. Here's, here's the test of if you're praying with a right motivation, are you willing to pray in private? Verse 6, Jesus says, he goes, go into a room, go into a closet, shut the door, and that which is unseen will actually see you. Men may not see you, but that's not the point. The point is God will see you. That's the motivation for prayer is that we should be able to pray in private with nobody looking and in our closet and go in there and shut the door where no one sees, but how many know God sees? He sees that. The unseen sees and he rewards that. That's the test. Oswald Chambers, great man of God, a great author, he says it uh, this way. He says, it's impossible to conduct your life as a disciple without definite times of secret prayer. Isn't that good? Your eyes are upon God, not on men. Don't even have the motive to be known as a praying man. Have no other motive than to know your Father in heaven. Amen, everybody? That's the kind of spirit that we want. That's how we want to conduct ourselves when it comes to prayer. It's interesting how Jesus says, go shut the door, go close the door. How many know it's, it's hard when you put yourself, it's a real battle. When you put yourself where you're like, okay, I'm going to select a spot. I'm going to select a time and a place that everything in the world as it relates to to-do lists start leaping up into your mind when you put yourself on your knees before God. It's amazing. And Jesus says, when you go in there, Go in there with a heart to spend time with your heavenly father. In other words, shut the door. Shut down the emotion. Shut down the to-do list. Shut off the lights if you have to. Close that. Get into a room where you can communicate with the Lord. It's the true test is can we pray in private? Now, let me just clarify this. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. Jesus did. The early church did. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, our Father. It's collective. All of us together are going to pray, our Father who art in heaven. So there's nothing wrong with praying in public, for God sees that, and God sees us in private, but he wants us to be motivated with the right disposition to please the Lord. Here's number two. Are you ready for number two? God-pleasing prayer is not mechanical. Verse seven, notice what it says here as we follow our text. It's not mechanical. He, he says this, and when you pray, not if, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Prayer is not mechanical. It's not a series of words just squished together or a formula or words that you just rattle off to sound spiritual. Jesus says, don't heap up empty words. One translation says empty phrases. Another translation says vain repetition. All that is, is synonymous. In other words, don't just use your lips and no mind. Don't use your lips, but no heart. In another place, Jesus says, for those that do that, actually you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. It's mechanical. It doesn't have like a heartfelt rhythm to it, a, a relational flow as it relates to our prayers. There's just a filling up of the air, a moving the air around with words or religious jargon. 
You know, I, I remember like, when I was thinking about this, how it was very hard for me to small talk back in the day. It still is kind of hard for me just to kind of engage in how many are with me right here? Like it's kind of the small surfacey talk with folks and, and it wasn't natural for me to talk. And so I remember uh, years ago, I would try to make it more natural, but it was very kind of rigid and mechanical. In fact, I would, I would prepare trusty little index cards before I would call friends or before I'd go on a date with somebody and just in case I would get stuck and I hated awkward silence in a conversation. So I just put like 20 questions, so mechanical. I, I hate to even admit this, but confessions of a pastor. And so anyhow, and so I'd put like 20 questions. So in the case that we would get stuck or it'd be awkward silence, I could just look down in my lap, like at the dinner table, and I'm across the way from a, a girl or whatever. And if it gets stuck, I can just take this trusty cheat sheet, this, these index cards, and I could say, if there's four seconds of silence, I could say, and by the way, on Friday, I'm doing this. Or, hey, do you own a cat? Just completely unrelated to anything we're talking about, or do you have an Atari, or just something, do you like veggies? All, and, but once I worked all the way through, then I'm stuck. Very unnatural, not a, a natural rhythm to our conversation that was there. Very mechanical. I, I remember, I hate to admit this as well, but I just, I'm amongst friends. But I, I remember going to the mill. I don't know if the mill is still around, but I was on a blind date with a girl in Baton Rouge, and we met at the mill. It's kind of like a Chili's type place. And, and so while we were there, she liked to talk really fast, and I like to talk really fast, and she used a lot of words, and I use a lot of words, and so it was uh, like a, almost a competition between, like, we don't want it to be awkward, and so we were having this conversation. She's asking me a lot of questions, and I'd run out of all of my questions on my, like, cheat sheet index card, and I was stuck, and it was really awkward and weird, and I remember she asked me some more questions, and I'm like, man, she talks fast, and she talks a lot of words here, and I was speaking a lot of words, and so I remember I ate a little bit of food. It was a ham sandwich, and as she fired off this other question, I had this food. Of course, I wanted to be a gentleman and be decent, and so I had this food that was stuck in my mouth, and I wanted to answer her, but I was still chewing on this, on this food, and so I just chanced it. How many have ever been that before? And, and I just chanced it, and I began to answer the question, and as I did, out came of my mouth this ham sandwich piece that was like flying like in hyperspace across in slow-mo across the table, and it landed on her neck right here and begin to slide down. And uh, I'm still feeling this story. It's been a long time since I shared this story. And very, probably the most embarrassing moment of my life as I'm, I don't know if I should say something about this. It's just, and she doesn't want to say anything about it. It's just like sliding onto her collar, onto her blouse. And, and I said, I'm so sorry that I spit this ham sandwich uh, with the mayonnaise just coming down your, and she goes, oh, no big deal. It's, I'm like, it is kind of a big deal. This is weird. And so, uh, and she, I said, you can go ahead and go to the restroom and wipe that off. I'm so sorry. But I like dribbled onto the middle of the table and um, she came back and broke up with me. But anyhow, but it worked out for the better because I got broke. And so anyhow, but it's, it's those kind of 
mechanical moments or many words moments that Jesus is talking about. Sometimes it can be hard to naturally talk. And what these scribes would do, they would just use many, they're babbling on and on. They're just, there's many words that they're using. It was mechanical language. It wasn't from the heart. You know, listen, if, if you're having a hard time being natural in your relationship with God and your prayer time, read the book of Psalms. I, I love the book of Psalms. What set me free from the index cards was learning how to interact with God, just praying prayers through the book of Psalms. And what you do is you see praises and you see it's, it's a book of prayers. It's a book of praises. And I just began to start just kind of going through it and praying to God in my closet with him and spending time with him. And I learned to really enjoy those times because what you see is you see men of God who had their devotional life and in good times and in bad times and in struggle times and twists and turns of their life, no matter what their circumstances were, they would record their interactions with God, their relational interactions with God. And as I was going through the book of Psalms, I just began to start saying, you know what, God, I'm stuck here. I don't know what to say right now. And I could put the index cards away because why? The index cards for me became the book of Psalms. I could go in there and say, oh, I'm looking down at this cheat sheet. Oh, I can say that. Or I can say this over here in the book of Psalms. I can if I'm having a hard time, I can actually ask for healing in my body. I can, when I don't know what to do, I can ask God for, for wisdom. I can ask God for, for strength. I can ask God for help. I need an answer in my life or with my family. And God, would you help me in this? I could just look down at the index cards called the book of Psalms. And it taught me how to naturally begin to start relating to God, not just with my words, but from the heart. God, you said that you'd give me daily bread you're a good father. Can you, can you provide that for me today, Lord? See, that's what God is, is after, a victory over maybe a temptation in our lives, the big things or the small things. It doesn't matter. And Jesus says, that's the kind of heart that I'm after is with a, a right motivation. It's not mechanical or robotic or routine or religious in that way. In fact, Jesus uses this word. He says, don't heap up empty phrases or vain repetition. In verse 7, actually the word in Greek actually means to keep on babbling. You know what the modern day version of that is? Blah, blah, blah. That's what these pagans were doing. They were just going blah, blah, blah. They weren't even saying anything that had any, any kind of substance at all. It was just to be seen by men. In fact, there was an ancient king in Bible days called King Badas. King Badas was known for his stammering and his stuttering, and he would get stuck on a phrase, a repetition, over and over again. And he would get so frustrated because he would get stuck on stammering on one word. That's actually what Jesus is talking about. He goes, they get stuck on saying, these pagans, these Pharisees, get stuck on saying the same exact thing, but it doesn't come from the heart. See, we say things like that in our, in our own world. Like we'll even say the Lord's Prayer. I remember being a part of a football team in high school and we would all gather on the field and say the Lord's Prayer. But to some of it, it meant something. And to others, we're just reciting it because it was just repetitious and we just had memorized it. And you just say that because you say that because you knew what it was. You just fill the word, the, the word with, um, with these prayers. It doesn't mean anything. Or sometimes we'll just say things like, God, just give them traveling mercies. 
something wrong with giving somebody traveling mercies, but do we mean that when we pray that over the protection of our cars when we're traveling from A to B? Or, or what about just rub-a-dub-dub, thank God for the grub? Like we just say things out there, and sometimes it doesn't mean anything. Or hurry up, kids, let's pray real quick before breakfast. Hurry up, let's, let's pray before bedtime. Let's, let's hurry up, let's hurry up and get this thing over, this thing called prayer, right? And it's a good thing to pray in that way. And in fact, it's a, it's a good thing to pray short over, over a, a good meal that's hot in front of you because it's not God's will for any kind of food to go cold. It's not a time to use many words and pray for all the nations. When you, how many can say amen to that? And so anyhow, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He is talking about just over and over again, mechanical words, meaningless words, many words. In fact, the religious customs of the day promoted them to pray, the pagans to pray long, drawn-out prayers just for the sake of praying long prayers. They would pray long-winded prayers that somehow or another God's going to listen better if I pray long prayers. We should take the counsel of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2. When it comes to prayer, let our words be few because God is looking at our heart. He's not, the true God is not impressed by the length of our prayers. He's after our right motivation and our right heart. I love what David says in the Psalms, a great index card to go to is, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. One translation says, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So when we pray, we do it from a right spirit. When we sing, it teems with gladness and joy because we're spending time with our heavenly Father. You remember in Luke chapter 18, you're a well-taught church from the Bible here, and there was two men and they came into the temple, and one was a Pharisee, and one was a tax collector. And the tax collector came in, and his spirit was, I'm, I'm very proud. Look how awesome I am. Lord, look how many times I give. Look how sacrificial I am. I fast. I fast and I give. Haven't you noticed that? I thank you, Lord, that, that I'm on your team. Look how amazing I, I am. You see the spirit? that he comes into the temple praying. In fact, I'm not on your team, Lord. You're actually on my team. I'm paraphrasing here, but he was bragging on himself. And then you have the tax collector who's there. He's right in the same room, and he's on his knees, and he's got his head bowed down, and he can't even hardly look up. And the Greek translation, actually, the Pharisee uses 29 words to talk about how awesome he is. And the tax collector uses six words. And the six-word prayer gets the attention of God. That's what the Lord is, is after, is that right heart that's pleasing unto him. Y'all remember that guy, blind Bartimaeus? He's on the, the roadside. He's, on, he's got his hazard lights on. He's, he's without help. He's without hope. And he hears that Jesus is coming along the way. And, and notice what he says. Jesus, this is his prayer, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Eight words. Not a long, drawn out, with many words prayer. How many know Jesus heard the eight words that day and healed the blind man? 
it doesn't have to be long and drawn out. It just comes from, it can be very, a short prayer. In fact, the early church tradition developed something as it relates to how they prayed in the early church, and it was called breath prayers. How can I relate to God from the heart in a breath and say it to God? Lord, let the words of my mouth, let the meditations of my heart. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Just eight words, just, just a breath to God, but it comes from the right spirit. Well, that's what God's concerned about. How do we win his smile? It's from a right motivation. It's not mechanical. It's got a natural rhythm to it. It's got a relational flow. And finally, number three, Jesus teaches us when we pray, our Father knows our needs. How many are thankful for that? Our Father knows our needs. Verse eight, let's read it. Our last verse here. Jesus says, do not be like them, the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The way that they prayed was mechanical. The way that they prayed was meaningless. The way that they prayed was with many words. That's how the pagans prayed because they misunderstood God. Their approach, hear me, their approach to God was that he doesn't listen. So I have to plead my case. I have to use a lot of words to argue, to get him to get on my page. I, I got to do a lot of things to capture his attention because he's generally unloving, uncaring. He doesn't really care a whole lot about, you know, if you care something about like a cause that you're really passionate about and you're trying to get somebody to engage and they're kind of reluctant on that, you have to use a lot of words to try to get them on the page with the cause that you're very passionate about, right? And they're hesitant about it. And so you have to argue with them or, or you try to bring them into or persuade them. But that's not our our God, he is a loving father. He is a caring father. He's not uninvolved. He hears your cry. Even in the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven, he knows our, our needs, our daily needs. In fact, a little bit later on in the chapter, he says, you're more valuable than the birds. And he feeds them. His eye is on, we used to sing that song in my dad's church in New Orleans, his eye is on the sparrow. You're actually more valuable. He cares more about you and he takes care of the sparrows. He takes care of those birds. How more, much more valuable are you to God? And so we can cast our cares, what a wonderful thing, on him. Why? Because he's not uninterested. He's not on his phone. He's not checked out or negligent. No, he wants to move. Don't treat God as if he doesn't want to move on your behalf. He deeply cares for you. He's not uninformed. He's not forgetful. We, need, we don't need to bring to his attention something that he doesn't know. Our father, you know your father. Our, our father knows your needs. Y'all remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 18. Can I compare the difference between pagan prayer and pleasing prayer? Here you have Elijah on one side, and you got 450 Baal prophets who are going to pray and worship and plead their case to a wrong God. Y'all remember the story, 1 Kings chapter 18, a couple of verses here. So they prepared these Baal prophets. This is how they prayed. They prepared one of the bulls, placed it on the altar, then they called him the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. 
Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. And about noontime, Elijah began to, I love this. You just got to get into your Bibles. This is great. Elijah began to mock them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a god, exclamation point. Perhaps he's daydreaming or he's relieving himself. The Bible actually says that. He's on vacation. He's on his phone. He's reluctant. He's, he's not there. He's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's away on a trip. He's asleep. He needs to be awakened. So they shouted all the louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. How many are thankful that's not our God? <laughs> Baal is not our God. He's a heavenly father who knows everything that you need even before we ask him. I love that about our heavenly father. Well, he's a God who cares. He's a God who knows. He's a God who rewards. Matthew chapter 6, the bottom part of this same chapter, notice what it says in verse 31 through 34. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we where? These are concern, real concerns. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Then Peter picks up on this same tone in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. Notice what Peter, the Apostle Peter says to us. He says, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, all of us have a tendency, myself included, to, to be anxious or fearful, and why do we pray? To remind ourselves how powerful and how mighty the hand of God is. Listen, strong people don't pray because they feel like they can handle it themselves. They can control it and they don't need the help of God. But we come to him humbly under the mighty hand of God and we get to admit, I'm weak and you are strong. You are sufficient. You are almighty. I need your mighty hand to move in my life, in my marriage, in my family. We're dependent upon God. We act in humility. We do it with a right spirit. Sometimes we think that people didn't relate to us because it was all the way back 2,000 years ago, but it was normal for people back then in the text that we're reading to have anxiety about their days. Is it going to be long? Is it going to be short? When are my days up? Family, pressures, lack of employment. They live their lives that way with some fear, some peculiar worries, some anxieties that they live with. And not a lot has changed in the last 2,000 years. In fact, if I were to poll this room, if I were to survey this room behind all the faces that I see in front of me right now, I don't think that we would actually have to dig real deeply that behind maybe our smiles and saying, hey, we're okay, or praise the Lord, 
that there are some, if we're honest, some real things that we're anxious about or worried about. Maybe some things are immediate. Maybe some things are some unique fears that we have as it relates to our health. There's all kind of things that can destabilize us or undo us. How many know worry weaves itself, anxiety weaves itself into the fabric of everyday life? And sometimes fears can just come on us suddenly. Worries can just attack us in just a moment. And some of us, maybe we're fearful of or worried about being in a crowd. Others are fearful of being lonely. Some are fearful of failing. Others are fearful of having some sense of success. Some people fear change. Others fear the routine of life. And the great anxiety and the great fear of all fears is the fear of death. Being scared to death of, of death. And you know what Jesus says? Don't worry about tomorrow. Take it one day at a time. What you'll wear, your clothing, your shelter, the birds, you're valuable to me. I love you. I'm involved. I care about the details of your life. We used to sing, still do, the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. One of the verses says this, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Isn't that our hope today? We carry everything, every burden. Jesus said, your father knows before you ask. So Jesus says, ask. And then Peter says, cast. Cast all of your cares upon him. Philip's translation says it this way, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him for you are his personal concern. What a wonderful thing. Why, why do we pray to the Lord to remind ourselves that we need the Lord? But one of the reasons why we pray to God is four words. We know it's because we know that he cares for us. When we cast, it's actually a, a very intentional verb in the original language. It, it gives you the picture of a schoolboy who has a large backpack and he comes in on a Friday from school and he walks into the entryway of his own house and he takes that thing off and he throws it on the ground. And his mother says, aren't you going to go ahead and pick that thing up? He goes, oh no, I'm absolutely not going to be picking that thing up. I'm throwing that thing to the side. That's, that's casting. It's decisive. It's action-packed. It's got energy. And we're casting. We're throwing all of our burdens, all of our anxieties, all of our worries onto the Lord. He's got big shoulders and big biceps, and we leave it there with him. Why? Because, four words, he cares for you. You know what Jesus was saying? Don't worry about tomorrow. Just walk with me one day at a time. Just think about today. Hey, guys, quit worrying about all that stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. I care for you. It's almost like a children's talk, isn't it? Because it is a children's talk. <laughs> We're his children. 
He is our heavenly father, amen, somebody? And he knows everything about our life, every single need. He knows us, he cares, he knows our needs. And finally, as we wrap up here today, he's a rewarder of every good thing. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He'll add everything unto us. The renowned New Testament scholar D.A. Carson was paying tribute to his own father, Tom Carson, at a funeral in 1992. And he was making comments and remarking about his dad's legacy. He talked about his dad, Tom's, Tom's prayer life, how he loved the lost, his tireless energy that he spent pastoring his small church. And here's what D.A. Carson wrote about his dad, quote, When dad died, there were no crowds outside the hospital. No notice in the papers. No announcements on the television. No mention in parliament. No notice in the nation. In his hospital room, there was only the quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because dad had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, all the trumpets sound. Her dad had won admittance to the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or a great man, but because he was a forgiven man. Come on, can we give the Lord a hand today? Wow. But on the other side, all the trumpets sound. God's a rewarder. Why? Because Tom didn't live for Carson. Tom Carson didn't live to blow his own horn. He lived as a faithful man of Christ. And when he walked in the entryway of that gate that day, he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. And heaven went nuts over his faithfulness to Christ. Why? Because he had a proper understanding of his God. He did it with a right spirit, with the right motivation. As we're faithful to Christ, we'll all walk in that gate that day and heaven will go crazy over your faithfulness to Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we have a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. And we can cast all of our cares, every single one of them, on you. You're a burden bearer. You lift us. You strengthen us. You are our hope. You are our anchor. God, we look to you. We love you, Jesus. Can you just say that right now? Just say, I love you, Jesus. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, just a short prayer out of your heart that says, God, I just bless you, Lord. I thank you. You know me. You're involved in my life. You know the details of my life. Lord, you can cause worry and anxiety to slip away in just the snap of a finger. Lord, you can dissipate all of our fears. Lord, let not our trust moderate God today. Let our trust be high in a God who loves us, knows us, cares for us, and rewards us. And for all those who eagerly and longingly await the appearance of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a crown. There's going to be a reward stored up for us in heaven.
for our faithfulness to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said a good amen to that.